The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to welcome you this morning on behalf of a Reverend Dave Dunn, our Director of Religious Exploration, Lexi Tangney Brown, our Music Director, Alex Peach, and our talented Chalice Choir, our Women's Ensemble this morning, and my fellow worship associates, and our dedicated technical team that makes today's live stream possible. Um, we want to welcome you to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, which we lovingly call Yemen. No matter who you are, who you love, or where you are on your spiritual journey, all are welcome here. Do we have anyone visiting us for the first time this morning that feels comfortable standing and introducing yourself? Um, we'd love to get to know you and be able to worship as friends. If there's anyone on my left that wants to stand and introduce yourself, or on my right. All right, nobody this morning. All right. We all know each other this morning. <laughs> we have a few adult enrichment offerings um, this morning, so um, the class locations are in your printed order of service. Um, we have Sunday service reflections, we have spiritual cinema, music share, and human gardening is going on, uh, so that's exciting. Um, and then for religious youth religious exploration, uh, right now we have play group going on, and at 11.15 we have our regular RE curriculum. Um, in Discovery Hall. Um, please note that we'll also have a quick fire drill at the beginning of our RE class this morning. And now Lexi's going to come up and give a special announcement. Good morning. Got something special for you. Yeah, I have no idea how to play the ukulele. <laughs> but, but I am willing to bet I have your attention. Um, MCY wanted to invite you to our end of the year uh, pizza party. It'll be on May 21st at 11.15. We invite you all to come join us. There'll be games, fun, pizza. Um, and we would love to have you there. Go ahead and take out your phones, and you can put in your calendar, May 21st. Since your phone is already out, check out this awesome QR code. Um, this code will take you to a link to sign up to a limited time offer to do summer programming with the youth. One hour every Sunday from um, June 4th to August 3rd. You can do one hour, whatever you want. Well, not whatever you want, but close to it. <laughs> Thank you. The 
Now uh, Donna Melcher would like to make an announcement. Who is getting excited for the spring revival starting this Friday? Yeah, yeah. Carla, I didn't see you get excited. Come on, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to let, just go over the structure of it just a little bit. On Friday night, we'll start with the sacred fire being lit in the discovery, behind Discovery Hall. Then we have a fabulous potluck. And then uh, at around 7.30, we'll start a social fire. We'll have some special music and things like that. If it does rain, which we're not hoping for, we will have a movie inside the sanctuary, one of our favorites, Fern Gully, which has a really fun earth message. On Saturday, we start at 10 a.m. with uh, goodies and coffee. And then there's some activities that start at 11 that you can sign up for. And then at lunch, it's a bring your own lunch. So don't forget to pack something good for yourself. And then we will do a play space dedication at 115, which is going to be out in front of Discovery Hall. And then um, at two o'clock, there'll be another bunch of activities that we'll be doing. Then after that, we'll have dinner at five o'clock, pizza, $5 for two pieces. And then our fabulous talent show. Let's hear it for the talent show coming. And then after that, we have a fire finale on the labyrinth. So that's Saturday. And then on, uh, on Sunday, we have our fabulous celebration of elders. There's still time to get your wisdom words into me. Um, just send them to my email. So that's for elders 65 and older. Write your wisdoms that you'd like to share with human on, on an email and just send it to me. And we're collecting them hopefully for a book called Wisdom Seeds. So then we'll have a nice little celebration on Sunday. And then after that, for the fantastic finale, we will have, then, then there will be Lexi's beautiful baby shower at the end of the service. So in, in that, so yeah, aww, <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. So uh, obviously the QR codes are there for signing up. So hope to see you all sometime at the revival. join me in saying our chalice lighting words that are in your printed order of worship. At this hour, in small towns and big cities, in single rooms and ornate sanctuaries, many of our sibling Unitarian Universalist institutions are also lighting a flaming chalice. As we light our chalice today, let us remember that we are part of a great community of faith. 
May this dancing flame inspire us to fill our lives with the Unitarian Universalist ideals of love, justice, and truth. In the late 1780s, William Channing, a prosperous businessman in Newport, Rhode Island, took his son, William Ellery Channing, to an evangelical revivalist meeting. William Ellery Channing, uh, the, the, the son, eventually became a prominent Unitarian minister, perhaps the most prominent Unitarian minister in history, in our history. But at this revivalist meeting, the young William Ellery Channing uh, heard sermons that he had never heard before at this revival. The preachers painted a vivid picture of what lie ahead. The preacher said, earth and all its inhabitants will be swallowed by an inescapable fury of everlasting hellfire and damnation. Justly sentenced to this plight due to the unremitting sinfulness and depravity of their nature. The stain on all humanity atoned for only by the violent crucifixion of God's only son on a cross. Yet even despite this grisly act of forgiveness, the unending sinfulness of humanity continues to march onward. A sinfulness that will condemn all except those pre-elected, pre-ordained by God. A sinfulness that will condemn the rest of humanity to an endless misery and agony of hellfire. That's what the preacher preached. And the young William Ellery Channing was terrified, shaking. Never before had a preacher painted such a wretched future so vividly and so horribly. At the conclusion of the sermon, they got up. The elder Channing sees a friend and they start conversing about the sermon. Young Channing is standing next by. And the, the elder Channing says, sound doctrine, sir, don't you think? And the other friend says, yes, sound doctrine. And the young Channing's like, oh my gosh. His heart sank deeper. Waves of terror enveloping him. They took a carriage home, father and son, took a carriage home. And in the silence of the carriage, the father starts whistling this happy tune. And then when they get home, Mr. Channing is the elder, unexplainably jovial, enthusiastic, and happy. And the young Channing, finally, it dawns on him. My dad doesn't believe any of this. <laughs> that's, yeah. So that's the Unitarian side. Here's the Universalist story. There once, once upon a time, there was a father who loved his son. He'd look at his son and he'd say, in a way, he, like, he's from me. He came from me. In a way, he is my creation. And the man father watches over his son and his love grew more deeply for his son. 
And the son grew up, and as he grew, he grew a fondness for going to a tavern late at night, every night. He'd go to the tavern and stumble and stagger home drunk every night. And his father became obviously concerned with this behavior. What is he going to do? So he stops by and consults the, universal, the local universalist minister. Minister listens to him, yes, yes, okay, I, I think I know what we can do. So he asks the father, do you think when your son is stumbling home, you know, at three in the morning, kind of drunk, do you think we can apprehend him at that time? And the father said, of course, he's drunk. Anyone can just go up and grab him. And the minister says, great, tonight we'll lay in wait on the roadside. And when your son comes down, we'll grab him and we'll throw him into a fire. And the father says, why, what, why would you do that? I love my son. Why would I throw him into a fire? And the universalist minister says, precisely. Precisely. Why would a God who loves us condemn us to an everlasting hellfire? Why? Your son needs help. But the way forward is through love, not condemnation. Love, not condemnation. And that is universalism. quilts, taking bits of all that is out there, a little of this shirt, that dress, or this theology and that ritual, cutting it up, taking from it uniquely in sync with the core of our being, and we call those scraps our own. But you can't leave your quilt in pieces. No, you have to sew it all back together and make them a coherent whole. It would be easier to use a blanket, and that may take care of many people's needs but we ask more of those who enter our churches. We ask them to be quilters, each and every one of them.
neither the sword of popes or the cross or the image of death. Nothing will halt the march of truth. I wrote what I felt, and that is what I preached, and I preached it with a trusting spirit. I'm convinced that after my destruction, the teachings of false prophets will collapse. These are the words of 16th century Unitarian minister Francis David. And they weren't spoken from a pulpit. These were, those were words were scratched into the wall of his prison cell just before his death in 1579. I did a sermon on him just about two months ago, two or three months ago. He's, he founded the Unitarian Church in Transylvania, now Romania, and generally regarded as the first Unitarian minister. He wasn't the first Unitarian, however. The ideas didn't come from nowhere. Others had Unitarian ideas, small u, Unitarian. Uh, there was a theologian named Faustus Socinus who was Unitarian in theology. Francis David preached the humanity of Jesus, and he also said that we should, one should only pray to God the Father, not to Jesus. There's nothing in the Bible about that, he said. It actually, that actually got him killed, imprisoned and killed sentenced to a life imprisonment. Now, I say that because in the early 17th century, religious dissenters in England picked up on those ideas of Socinus and Francis David, and they began creating Unitarian churches in England. Uh, about a century after that, a prominent uh, Unitarian minister and scientist named Joseph Priestley was a great religious leader in England, okay? He was a, he was a scientist first and foremost. He, he was a chemist. He actually discovered the element of oxygen. Like, he proved this is, you know, it's atomic number and all that kind of stuff. So Joseph Priestley was friends with Benjamin Franklin, actually. Very good friends. But he was also a minister, a Unitarian minister. But in England... He was regarded as a heretic. Eventually, they burnt his house down, his church, and other Unitarian churches down. Benjamin Franklin convinced Joseph Priestley to come to Philadelphia, which he did. In Philadelphia, they founded the first Unitarian Society of Philadelphia. And this is like the late 1794, something like that. It's the first church in North America to call itself Unitarian by name, okay? That's 1794. Okay, now we're going to go back. Not long after the death of Francis David in 1579, Puritans, who were disaffected members of the Church of England, decided to form, come to the New World and form the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They were going to do church right. The Church of England didn't have it right. They, didn't, they weren't practicing right. They were going to do it right in America. So the Puritans reorganized churches here, made them radically democratic. 
and they were called congregational churches. Theologically, these congregational churches were Calvinists. They believed in the Trinity. They believed in the depravity of human nature. They believed in the impotency of humanity, predestination of the elect, that we were inherently sinful. They took the Bible literally. These are the early congregationalists. But by the late 1700s, there were some liberal congregationalists who saw some things differently and some, some divisions in congregationalism started to develop. And in the early 1800s, there was a wave of evangelical conservative congregationalism which kind of magnified these divisions between the liberals and the conservatives. In 1805, the Reverend Henry Ware, a liberal, liberal side, he was elected to the Hollis Chair of Divinity at Harvard Divinity School. This is the straw that broke the camel's back to divide congregationalism. Harvard was Puritan found, and the Hollis Chair of Divinity was, is the oldest chair of theology in the United States. And electing a liberal to that position was too much for the conservatives to bear. The highly influential conservative congregationalist Jed, Pastor Jedediah Moore said, Mr. Ware is not a Calvinist regarding his sentiments on important points, such as the depravity of human nature, the impotency of man, and the future state of the wicked. Conservative critics within congregationalism started to pejoratively call the liberals Unitarians. It was meant as a slur, okay? You folks, you're like those heretic Unitarians like Joseph Priestley and Francis David and other folks in England, okay? The Christian missionary and literary editor, conservative, Jeremiah Everts said, persons have heard from Unitarian pulpits both sermons and prayers which are totally at variance to the gospel. And many well-meaning people have been led astray and into the dark. Now, the, the leader of the liberal wing of the Congregationalist was a brilliant man named Joseph Stevens Buckminster. He was an expert at biblical criticism, a great speaker. He was the, the head of the Brattle Street Church in Boston. He was 25, brilliant. Unfortunately, he died tragically at age 28. So into this vacuum created uh, by Buckminster's death, in step Reverend William Ellery Channing to be the leader of the liberal wing of the Congregationalists. He was the minister of the Federal Street Church in downtown Boston. He was born in Newport, uh, Rhode Island, 1780, and... Um, <clears throat> At the time of this controversy, it's called the Unitarian Controversy, uh, he was in his probably mid-30s at the time. He was the son of a wealthy businessman. His maternal grandfather was William Ellery, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. 
His paternal grandfather owned slaves. His own parents owned slaves up until the time of the revolution. Channing had a deep relationship with nature, with the natural world. For him, it was basically the sea living from in Newport, Rhode Island. And actually, Ralph Waldo Emerson got many of his transcendentalist ideas from William Ellery Channing. It's really astounding to read some of the things that Emerson wrote, and, I'm, and, I, and I enjoy those. And then I read some earlier sermons from Channing. It's like, wow, this is like, it could have been Emerson. Emerson was no doubt reading and highly influenced by William Ellery Channing. Anyway, the liberal Congregationalists, they didn't really care so much about the details of theology. One, one stream of theology is called Christology. Like, what is the nature of Jesus? Is he God? Is he man? Is he, you know, is he part of both? What is the nature of the Trinity? Okay. Uh, books have been written about these things, which is a good indication that nobody knows what they're talking about. Okay. <laughs> The liberal, unit, the liberal congregationalists didn't really care about that kind of nuance, those kind of debates. <clears throat> they were more interested in the spiritual nature of humanity, the moral likeness of God and humankind, and the correlation between revelation and reason. Both conservatives and liberals believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They just saw those things differently. For the liberals, there wasn't really a schism. It was just a matter of perspective to them. But the conservative critics persisted. The liberals said that the difference was just matters of perspective. The conservatives said that the differences were important and fundamental. And at first, Channing was taken aback and offended by being called a Unitarian. He was. But as the controversy dragged on, he found himself, more often than not, defending the Unitarian theology. And finally, he decided that the conservatives were correct. The differences between the two were important and fundamental. Then on May 5th, 1819, that's why I'm giving this sermon about this time of year, okay? On May 5th, 1819, 204 years ago, at the ordination of Reverend Jared Sparks at the first independent church in Baltimore, the church which still stands, the pulpit is still there, same room, William Ellery Channing gave a sermon entitled Unitarian Christianity. And he spoke on behalf of all of the liberal congregationalists. He figuratively planted a flag stake in the ground and said, yes, we are the Unitarians. And this is what we believe. He said, say what you may, God has given us a rational nature we find that the different portions in the Bible refer perpetually to the times when they were written, to states of society, to modes of thinking, to controversies in the church, 
to feelings and usages which have passed away. With these views of the Bible, we feel it our bounded duty to exercise our reason upon it perpetually, to compare, to infer, to look beyond the letter to the spirit, to look beyond the letter to the spirit, to seek in the nature of the subject in the aim of the writer his true meaning. The Unitarians, he said, cannot believe in a tyrannical God. We cannot bow before a being, however great and powerful, who governs tyrannically. We respect nothing but excellence, whether on earth or in heaven. We venerate not the loftiness of God's throne, but the equity and goodness in which it is established. William Ellery Channing. After the sermon, the liberal congregationalists began to organize and they split off and they formed in 1825 the American Unitarian Association. The documents were signed in the vestry of William Ellery Channing's Federal Street Church in downtown Boston. In 1961, the Universalist Church of America and the American Unitarian Association combined to form today's Unitarian Universalist Association. After this sermon, the Unitarian Christianity sermon, Channing became somewhat of a celebrity. And yet, despite his notoriety, his path of ministry was not easy. Being a person of influence, many people tried to persuade him to do things, take certain positions. And at the time, abolitionism in America was becoming an issue. Abolitionists asked him to speak out in his pulpit against slavery. And for the longest time, he was reluctant to do so. He Personally, he abhorred slavery but he also abhorred some of the abolitionists' methods. And he feared that his message to the congregation would be disruptive, perhaps doing more harm than good. Now, his church, the Federal Street Church in Boston at that time, was the place to be. The power brokers went to that church. The powers that be were there. If you were a bigwig, you went to that church. That's who he had sitting in his pews. Finally, he began to speak out against slavery and in support of abolitionists. And then when an abolitionist friend of his passed away, he wished to have the memorial service done in the Federal Street pulpit or Federal Street uh, sanctuary. But the Federal Street board intervene and prevented him from doing so. After that, William Ellery Channing resigned his ministry. He had been there for 39 years.
please join me in extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. William Ellery Channing writes, true religion lends itself with common life. May your life preach more loudly than your lips. Go in peace and enjoy your week. Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia, thanks you for listening to the Human Podcast. Background music, courtesy of Tim Moore from Pixabay. <laughs> <laughs>